Welcome to the Forerunner Church Podcast, where we highlight key messages and themes related to the body of Christ, inviting you to connect with our spiritual family as we grow in passion for Jesus and compassion for people. For more information, visit forerunnerchurch.com. Amen. Thank you, Brandon. Go ahead up. Come up here, Caleb and uh, Dave Slyker. Come up here as well. Let's just give a warm welcome to Caleb. And we're waving at you, Rachel Kalamazoo. That's Caleb's wife. She's amazing. Incredible worship leader, teacher. I mean, you're just sharing things the Lord's doing in her heart and through her ministry and so encouraging. But, uh, but Caleb and Rachel, you guys came and did the One Thing internship back in the day. And know Dave Slyker from way back. But I just want to say one thing, and then Dave, you jump in as well. One of the things I so appreciate about you is you are a man of excellence. And you make everything better around you. And I miss your leadership. I told you yesterday. I I said, Caleb, I said, I miss your leadership. I know that you haven't been here. You've been gone like nine years or so, nine, ten years. I just said, I miss your leadership in our midst. He was just so provoking of a leader. And even from afar... Just as a brother in the spirit, I, I am just so provoked by your life, your ministry, your leadership, and I miss that here. So anyways, I'm just so happy that you're here to be with us this morning. It's such a joy and love you so much. Yeah, this is so sweet for us that you're here. I love that you came. I love that you're speaking this morning. I'm going to tell a quick Caleb story. It's real quick. So I've known Caleb since 1999, 2000, somewhere in there, and so it's a few years later, we did, we did a, summer camps together. And so, um, so I'm at the summer camp that I directed, and he was a, he was a camper. I'm grabbing 16-year-old Caleb Culver, and I said, hey, there's a place in Kansas City that never stops praying and worshiping. They never stop. The music never stops. And then I look at him. I go, you were made for it. And so, ah, oh, it makes me want to cry. It um, just... <laughs> So I remember, I mean, he, he just believed me. He jumped on it, jumps on a plane, 16 years old, comes to the little trailer. We go there 10 o'clock at night. Caleb falls on his face and doesn't get up the rest of the night. The entire night watch on his face. I don't know that you moved. Just in the presence of the Lord, you were born for it. You were made for it. And so I love that this house was made for people like you. And I love that you said yes to it with all your heart. And I love that you're here. Stretch out your hands toward Caleb. Father, we love you. Lord, we celebrate the, the leadership, the integrity, the life of God that you've imparted through your servant. We receive him in this house. We receive him as a leader in the prayer and worship movement, building your kingdom, pressing for the things of God. We speak blessing over the Culver family, over Caleb and Rachel and their children. Lord, may they prosper in every way. We love them. We bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Man, thank you so much. I feel like I want to just stand here and cry for the next 40 minutes. That wouldn't be weird for y'all if I did that, would it be? Okay, I will. No, I'm uh, really actually overwhelmed just by that reception. I'm overwhelmed with gratitude for this house. Um, Like Dave said, I was made for the presence of God and made for prayer and worship. And when Dave told me that, hey, there's a place 
that does not cease in their worship and their prayer. That changed my life forever. And I was here for, uh, with my wife and, and now two kids for nine years and uh, just a son of the house. And the Lord sent me with this heart for worship and prayer to a place called Kalamazoo, Michigan. Yes, it's a real place, Kalamazoo. Um, and uh, there in the heart of this city, three years ago, we planted a prayer center and we have morning, noon, and night full band intercession prayer meetings that happen Monday through Friday from this little place called Kalamazoo. There's incense rising morn, morning, noon, and night. And we have an amazing pastor, Lee Cummings. We have a, a network of about 60 churches where we're just figuring out how to become praying churches. And uh, just one quick vision that, that Pastor Lee had that I wanted to share. He saw about a year ago, he saw like a, a tent that what had not been put up yet that kind of spread across the nation. And uh, he was asking the Lord what it was, and he said, this is the, the booth of David, the tabernacle David from Amos 9, 11. And then he saw post and then tent pegs, and he said, Lord, what, what are these? And the Lord said, these tent pegs are thousands of praying churches that are being raised up that nobody sees in faraway places with leaders that aren't famous on Instagram. They're not influencers, worship music that nobody's ever heard of, but they are houses of prayer, praying churches that are flying under the radar of the enemy. And then in one moment, the Lord will raise up this tent. And when the enemy thinks that he has the church, when the enemy thinks that he finally can pounce and take out the church, God's hidden strategy of praying and worshiping churches all over the nation will be raised. And from coast to coast, there will be a house of prayer united through thousands of praying churches. And I believe Kansas City is one of those tent posts. It's unironically in the center of the nation. I believe it's raising up this sale for praying and worshiping churches. And, and we're seeing the dandelion effect of one man's faithfulness, Mike Bickle, for, for decades saying yes in the place of prayer and how it's raising up churches. And I believe God has an answer for this hour and it's gonna be a church operating in revival that's the praying church. So amen. Amen. We can praise God. For that, so I'm really excited to be here. Uh, I'm kind of tagging on to some of the messages that that Isaac has been preaching about uh, the identity of Christ, not just taking on his behaviors, but being transformed into his image and what that looks like. And so I'm going to specifically talking about the fragrance of Christ, and I mean I'm literally going to be talking about smell and fragrance this morning. And so I know you were probably driving to church this morning, and I'm like, man, I really hope there's a random guest pastor, and I hope he's talking about the sense of smell. That would just be so awesome. Um, and I'm here to answer that, that cry that nobody else heard. Uh, so turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 11. This is going to be our anchor text, and, and we're going to be talking not just about the, the fragrance of Christ, but how we carry that ourselves in our lives. And, and in uh, Isaiah 11, this is a passage where a lot of us are familiar with that's talking about Jesus. Um, but I'm going to call attention to one small detail in it. In Isaiah 11, verses 1, it says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch from his root shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of the knowledge of the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. 
but with righteousness he shall judge the poor. This is a massively famous messianic text talking about Jesus, but unfortunately in the English translation it uses the word delight, which is an awesome word in general, if that's what Isaiah was talking about, but he's not. It's this Hebrew word ruach, which is similar to ruach, which is, which is breath and spirit. But ruach, it means it to, to perceive a smell, to accept it, to be pleased and moved by accepting a fragrance. It actually only means that. That is the only definition of what this word is. So it, it could be read, his, the way that he delights, what his delight is, he smells the fragrance. It's not by what his eyes see, it's not by what his ears hear, but what his nostrils smells in which he judges. And that we know this to be true about God, that he doesn't look at the outward, he appears at the heart, you know, the famous passage when Samuel was anointing David. But this takes it a little bit further with this idea that, that he's not judging by what man judges with their eyes and their ears, but but with fragrance and, and the picture to, to accept a smell. Like, you know, I just came back this, this weekend and, you know, Kalamazoo, it's amazing. You're not going to believe this, but their barbecue is not quite to the same level as Kansas City. So we went to, to meet Mitch's and every time I come to Kansas City, there's a new place. All my friends, you know, Sliker and Isaac are like, hey, we got to try this place and I'll hear about it. And then I'll come a year later and like, no, that place stinks now. We got a new place. And uh, so we went to meet Mitch's and I just like walking in and just breathing in the fragrance. And it's like before I see or hear anything, I'm just, my emotions, my heart is moved by just this this fragrance. And what, what we see and what we hear, it comes through these these filters and and the reason why it matters with that sense of smell, you know, we are created in God's image. And that's not just, you know, referring to like our actual physical image. It's our trichotomy. We're body, soul, and spirit. The way that we are comprised and how our body, soul, and spirit works, they're, they're little hints to the divine nature of, of who God is. And so we're going to kind of peek at that, why, why that matters as we kind of dive into the scripture. But, you know, you have five senses. We all know that. And... uh most of your senses, they travel through the thalamus portion of your brain. That's basically the CPU. It's, it processes everything to, to figure out where the brain should, uh, you know, send different information, whether that's touch with, with pain or, or, or it, it just kind of computes where everything needs to go. But the sense of smell is actually different. It's obviously linked to taste. Taste is actually linked to, to smell, but it travels through uh, a different portion of the brain called the limbic system. And the limbic system is the part of the brain that is in charge of processing emotion, mood, and memory. Emotion, mood, and memory. And so unlike the other senses, when you taste something or when you smell it, it goes through this part of the brain called the limbic center. Because of that, it is by far the most emotive sense. We know that to be true. There's just something about fragrance and even taste that has this emotional connection. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's, it's something we all have different stories. When I did the, the one thing internship, uh, I don't know, a billion years ago, it was probably, I don't know how long ago, almost 20 years ago, we stayed in this big, uh, it was called the Ghettoplex back then. I don't even know if we're allowed to say that anymore, but we probably very illegally packed probably 16 guys into this 
small little house. And uh, th- that's where we lived. And at that, my, my now wife, we had been dating for almost two years and she was in Australia. And uh, it used to be like 20 cents a minute to talk on the phone. And uh, which was insane. There's no, you know, there's no Zoom and all of this stuff. And so we used to write long handwritten letters. And uh, old, I mean, literally like 15 pages or whatever. And uh, I remember going to, you know, right, right by the prayer room to get the mail. And I would get a letter from Rachel. And I would never open the letter right there. And the reason for that is because not only was I getting a letter that had Rachel's love and affection penned out by hand, but Rachel would take her perfume and she would spray the letter. And so when I opened the letter, before I judged anything by what my eyes saw or my ears heard, so to speak, I would be captured with the fragrance of my wife. And I would get in trouble if I talked about the things that I felt in that moment when I just experienced, oh my gosh, it's like my wife is here, like the emotion and the memory that was stirred up in that moment. And that is very much what this word ruach means. And, and uh, I want to look at a few more instances in the Old Testament that are going to point us to how this has anything to do with Christ. And so Genesis 8, if you want to turn there, it's another kind of anchor text. This is the passage of the Noahic covenant. This is the first altar we see in scripture. Cain and Abel, they offered a sacrifice, but Noah actually built the first altar in scripture. And he offers this sacrifice and God has this absolutely fascinating response to this animal being killed on this built altar. In Genesis 8, 20, it says, then Noah built an altar to the Lord and he took every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. The Lord smelled the soothing aroma, and the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on the account of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth, and I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. This is kind of a, there's a a problem, so to speak, when we first look at this text, is that it doesn't seem to make sense. On one side, God is like, hey, Everything man does, every heart, every intent of man from his youth is only evil. And so you're, you're kind of expecting a reaction like that. And, said, and God's like, so because of that, I'm going to make sure that I never flood the earth again. But these words of he smelled the soothing aroma, we again see this word ruach, which means to accept a fragrance. But then there's a new word, nekoic, which is an emotional quieting, or, or the most literal translating is actually to tranquilize which is almost offensive to think of, uh, of God. It, it's pointing us to this picture of, of, of him being almost riled up and then, and then all of a sudden he smells a fragrance and, and then he's tranquilized or he's soothed by what he smells. And, and even though man in this scripture has done nothing to move the heart of God in any specific way through an action or a righteousness, God's response from this fragrance is he releases a covenant of mercy. In Exodus 30 is the next scripture we're going to look at. This is one of the first commandments um, that God is giving to what the tabernacle of Moses is going to be like. And this one, this one's really tender to me. And so I'm going to try my hardest not to cry when I read it. And if I say that, it's going to help. Hot wings and sports. Okay, that's going to 
help me calm down and, and uh, be able to read this. <laughs> Exodus 30, that's my, you know, help myself not cry. A uh, little chant I say to myself. Uh, Exodus 30, 34 through 38. Then the Lord said to Moses, take for yourself spices. And a little bit farther. With it you shall make incense, a perfume. The worker of perfume, salted, pure, and holy. You shall beat some of it very fine and put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting where I will meet with you. It shall be most holy to you. The incense which you shall make, you shall not make in the same proportion for yourself. It shall be holy to you for the Lord. Whoever shall make any like it to use as perfume shall be cut off from all the people. Now, we, we've seen throughout these passages, a lot of this phrase is of, it shall be holy unto the Lord. Or even it shall be holy unto you. But here uniquely, um, it says, it shall be holy to you, but unto the Lord. And you see this precious scripture where God is saying, I, when you and I meet face to face, when the priests come into the presence of God, there is a fragrance that I want to smell. And only you and I, when we meet in this specific place, are going to carry this fragrance. And I want it to be so precious to you. I don't, want it to, I don't want you to ever smell like that when you're doing other things. This is something that's precious to me. Do you know you have a fragrance when you turn your affections on Jesus, when you worship when you pray, there is a, a fragrance that is unique, not only to the place to which you meet, but also to you as a person that blesses the heart of God and that is meant to be holy and sacred and precious. I remember during that time when I was in the internship, if I was ever walking around the mall or maybe in the prayer room and another woman was wearing that same perfume, I'd be like, no, uh like, you need to go shower. That's, that's not your fragrance. That belongs to Rachel. You know, there was something in me that was like, no, that, that is reserved. And, and, and that's what this passage is talking about. The altar of incense, this place that, that was sprinkled during the day atonement with the blood of the ram, which represented Jesus. And the incense that was not burning continually, but it was to be lit each day in the morning and the evening with this special fragrance. The other thing that fragrance is used for, the sense of smell that's so important, that's ignored, is the ability to tell if something is rotten. Now, I love grilling. I love grilling steaks. My wife and I, we do a Shabbat dinner with our family every Friday night. It's amazing. We have ribeye steaks from Costco. And uh, I I remember I got these amazing steaks, put them in the fridge, and then two days later, they kind of turned almost to this brownish color. And I took a picture of it. Isaac Bennett, if you don't know that, is the absolute grill master when it comes to steak. Just, just, he just knows how to bring it. It's amazing. I'm, I am one of his disciples. And so I texted him a picture, and I was like, yo, dude, this looks really weird. Do you, do you think this might be bad? And, you know, and he just texted back. He's like, well, just smell it. Because if you judge by what your eyes see, if, what it looks like, if you touch it, if you hear it, you're actually not going to know. The only way you're going to tell if something is rotten is if you smell it. Rotten meat. And man, does that smell. And it ended up not being rotten. The steaks tasted amazing, even though they were, had you know, a hot pink color. It was weird, but it was amazing. Okay, they weren't hot pink. But uh, there's, a, 
There's something about that ability of, of, of the, the sense of smell. Fragrance doesn't lie. It just doesn't lie. It is what it is. And in Jeremiah 6.20, we see, For what purpose comes frankincense from Sheba and sweet cane from a far country? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable, nor are your sacrifices sweet to me. And then in Psalm 51, in David's famous prayer of repentance, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth praise. For you do not desire sacrifice or I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. And what we see introduced in these passages where where God is saying, I'm not the fragrance of your sacrifices. You're doing it right on paper, but they're putrid to me. It's rotten incense is worship that seeks to take advantage of. It's what we see with Hophni and Phinehas, Eli's wicked sons, who take the burnt offerings and the holy portions and they eat the fat for themselves. Or they use their position as priesthood to, 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 to engage in sexual immorality. They, they are using what is meant to be worship, and they're doing it right on the outside, but there's a heart that seeks to take advantage of. And this is the contrast that we're going to look at in a little bit with Mary's worship and Judas's worship. It's worship that seeks to take advantage of and worship that is pure and fragrance doesn't lie. So I want to zoom in on the fragrance of Christ. And we talk a lot, as we should, about Christ's face and his voice. And when we see him, we know that, that, that we can't wait to see his face and his voice. But I'm convinced that, that the thing that is going to move my heart emotionally the most when I meet Jesus is actually not his face and his voice, but actually his fragrance. And Song of Solomon, the love song between Christ and his bride, there's 30 references to fragrance in the Song of Solomon alone. It is actually the focal point of this love song and this love story is actually fragrance. When, when Jesus came to the earth, when Emmanuel was born and the, the wise men came, they, two-thirds of the gifts that they brought Jesus at his birth was fragrance. And when Mary anointed him before burial, again, it was fragrance. In Psalm 45, verses 7, we think a lot about God's being anointed with the oil of gladness, and we go right to the gladness, and we forget that the primary use of oil, especially in this time, was for fragrance, and, and, and the context of Psalm 45 is fragrance. It says, therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. From ivory palaces, stringed instruments make you glad. So he's anointed with the oil of gladness. There's a fragrance on his garments, and then it has, why is he so glad? Well, it's the worship. It's the stringed instruments that are making his heart glad. And Ephesians 5, 1 through 2, another massively important text. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering, and here's the the key scripture, and a sacrifice to God 
for a sweet-smelling aroma. So let's go back in our mind to Genesis 8. This story where man got it wrong, and there was almost nothing good to offer, and yet all of a sudden, the heart of the father was soothed to the point of offering mercy. What in the world did he smell to elicit such a reaction? Or why was there such a specific fragrance in the tabernacle that would bless God? Was it the righteousness of the priest that moved? No, we have to conclude it's the fragrance of Christ. We have to remember that the sacrificial system did not have power to atone for sin once and for all. There was an act of faith in the ultimate high priestly sacrifice of Jesus when he gave himself upon the cross for our sins once and for all, the atoning lamb. And so the smell that soothed the heart of God in Genesis 8 wasn't the smell of the animal that pleased him, but he was smelling Jesus on the cross. The cross that the fragrance that ruached the heart of God was not the righteousness of man, but the very fragrance of Christ. And that altar of incense that was lit each morning in that tabernacle, sprinkled with the blood, it was the prayers of the, the, the priests, but that had been sanctified by Jesus. And sometimes it's, it's easy to, to think that, that his delight in our worship and prayer is, is just fully of our own. But it's rather when we are sprinkled with his blood, when we wear the robes of Jesus and we come before him with sincere hearts, that fragrance of worship that ascends before him, it moves his heart because it reminds the Father of the cross. It, it heads through the thalamus portion of God's nostrils, so to speak. And he's moved in his emotions and he's soothed in his heart. A couple of scriptures that are talking about our worship and prayer. Psalm 141, one through two. Lord, I, give, I cry out to you, make haste to me. Give ear to my voice when I cry out. Let my prayer be set before you as incense and the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. And then 1 Peter 2, 4. Coming to him as living stones and rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God, precious. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable or ruached, so to speak, to God. But it's not to God, it's to God through Jesus that we see. Now go ahead and turn into John 12. We're gonna go to... My favorite story in the Gospels, apart from the crucifixion. Okay, I can't say that. One of my favorite stories. We'll go with that. That's safer. <laughs> John 12, the story of Mary's offering. And what I love is, is the rest of the Gospels have covered the story. And John gets the advantage. He gets to write his Gospel after everyone's already written. And so what I love about John is he likes to zoom in and give details that nobody else Gave And John's the only one that highlights the fact that the fragrance filled the house. And let's look at it at John 12, even though we know it. Then six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been dead, who he had raised from the dead. And there they made a supper and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at table with him. 
Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And then John puts this little personal shot in there, which I appreciate. This he said, not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had, money, had, to, had the money box he used to take what was put in it. I like that. Even later, he's still a little bit bitter. He hasn't fully healed from the, uh, the bitterness. And uh, verse 7, but Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not always have. It's interesting that he says this was for the day of his burial because we know Jesus was in the grave three days, not four. He never decomposed. He never had the need to disguise a rotten fragrance. But this anointing was so much deeper than just covering up the fragrance of a body. And, and what we see in this incredible story is the, the pinnacle New Testament example of worship. When the father said, I'm looking for those in John 4 who will worship me in spirit and in truth. That word worship, it's proskuneo. And uh, we think of worship as worship music, but, but proskuneo isn't, has nothing to do with music or singing at all. It literally means it's, it's to bow down and to kiss the feet of a dignitary. It's actually to, to get in a posture where your spirit is elevated over your head and your heart and with your mouth you are kissing and ministering to the feet of Jesus. It is the ministry of the feet. And it's interesting because Mary pours the oil on Jesus' head and the, the kiss of affection does not go on Jesus' head but to his feet. And that's interesting because Judas, a few days later at Passover, is going to have Jesus minister to his feet to serve him, to, to cleanse him, even though he is dirty and he's about to be betray Jesus. And then what happens when, G when Judas goes out to betray Jesus? Here he is meeting the dignitary, offering the kiss, so close to worship. But he stands eye to eye, toe to toe, arrogantly, as if he's equal with Judas, and then he kisses him. A kiss that looks like affection on the outside, but is rotten to the core. And did you know that two of the gospels say right after the dinner party where Mary offered her fragrance, that was the moment that Judas went out and he sought the high priest to betray Jesus. And think back to, to Exodus 30. There's a fragrance that I only want you and I to carry when we meet. You know what was so beautiful about that night? Everybody got to smell the same physical fragrance, but only two people left the room that night smelling alike. 
The woman who went into the tent of meeting, the woman who proskuneoed, who ministered to the feet of Jesus and poured her costly oil upon his head. And to the inauthentic worshiper who looked like a worshiper on the outside, who had everything that looked like a disciple, and yet he sought to take advantage of, he looked for gain. One woman took her fragrant offering, the money, and displayed the worth of Jesus, the other pocketed the change of his advantage of Jesus. The two display all at the same time, and Mary and Jesus during Passion Week carrying that same fragrance. I, I know we know this, but I want to zoom in and, and, look, and look at it. You know, this spikenard was massively expensive. It grew at a certain altitude that could only be harvested at a, at a small portion of time, and then it was beat refined over and over and over and over and over again until it was incredibly fragrant. And, uh, you know, that, that was a day where they didn't shower or bathe frequently. I mean, just think about, too, like, you know, you ever around somebody who, like, uses a little too much Axe body spray, and it's just like, whoa, dude, like, one spray, man. Like, just cheap stuff that you get for, like, $8 carries an overwhelming frame. Can you imagine the fragrance of a $60,000 bottle of oil that has been soaked through Jesus's hair and his garments and his robes. Remember Isaiah 45. And what I love in this story that, that we know, but it's so important to remember is Passion Week for Jesus was Rejection Week. He's about to stand up and say, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I long to gather. I, I, I have this, like a hen gathers her chicks. I long to be close, but you rejected me. And now we have to say goodbye. And his disciples, his closest friends that are about to betray him, and Judas, who's about to betray him, and the, the, the lashes and the mocking and the beating, it's, it is rejection after rejection. And we know the most painful thing you can experience as a human is scorn love. And Jesus experiences it over and over and over again. And every moment where he would have felt the sting of man's rejection, all he'd have to do is take in a breath and he could ruach. He could be ministered to by the fragrance of a woman who did not worship for her own gain, who stood up in front of men who were critical, who had only to lose in the circumstance, and yet she worshiped. And then Jesus, as he stood upon the cross with belabored breaths, struggling to breathe, pulling himself up for his next breath, in each breath while he felt the pain of the Father turning his back on him, he would have still ruached the fragrance of a woman's worship that anointed him for the cross and for burial. And every moment that Jesus was there to be rejected and carried that fragrance, Mary carried that same fragrance. When she looked on Jesus on the cross, giving himself for her, she carried his same fragrance. In Revelation, I don't, I don't have time to, to read all the, the passages. I, I think we probably know a lot of them. But in Revelation 8, 11, and 15, in these key passages, and uh, uh, 6 as well, 
before the seals are opened, before the trumpets are blown, before the bulls are being poured out, we see the same pattern happen in heaven. We see worship and song, prayers and incense poured out and offered as a tangible, physical, real reality. And the response is the leadership of Jesus on the earth of the seals, the trumpets and the bowls. They're preceded. And we, we see the emotion of that in, in, in Isaiah 42, one of my favorite passages. It starts off just super positive, And it's like, sing to the Lord a new song. His praise to the ends of the earth, the coastlands and the islands and all the far about places. It's kind of like the picture of like Star Wars when they show all the different planets and everyone's like celebrating and partying. It's like, this is awesome. Everybody's singing to the Lord. There's worship going on. This is great, everybody. And then the Lord shall stir himself up like a mighty man of war. He shall shout aloud and he shall prevail upon his enemies. It's like, whoa, that got intense real quick. What is Isaiah showing us? He's showing us the worship movement. He's showing us the fragrance of worship, the fragrance of Mary arising before the throne. And this is the hour that we know that we live in where there is a gravitational pull called the prayer and the worship of the saints that is increasing and and it's pulling on heaven to come back and these bowls are being filled with fragrance and prayer and worship and the picture again is a emotional riling up. I mean, this stirring yourself up like a mighty man of war. It was, you know, before they would go into battle, they would, the warriors would drink and they would, they, would, they would punch each other and they would scream and they would rile themselves up to get their adrenaline pumping so they would head into battle. And God's saying, that's what I do, but I don't need alcohol. It's the prayer and the worship of my people as they're calling out. The fragrance is rising and it's, and it's filling the bowls to the point where they tip over. And we just think of the next point being initiated, but we forget the fact, right? That that fragrance fills all of heaven. In Psalm 45, the fragrance of Jesus' garment, the first time Jesus dies on the cross, he smells like one woman's worship. The second time when he comes back, he smells like your worship. He smells like your prayer. He smells like the seasons of your life where you were confused, that were hardship and were, were difficult. And yet, just like Mary, you said, I don't fully know and understand, but I offer my sincere heart and love to you and that fragrance will fill heaven and carry on the garment of Jesus as he returns. And here's what I know to be true. And you can say, well, that's just, that's just a thought, sure. But I know that my prayer and worship and my life has a fragrance to it. And I know that it's holy to me unto the Lord. And when I see Jesus I'm not just going to see him with my eyes. I'm not just going to hear his voice, but I'm going to come close. I'm going to proskuneo. I am going to minister to his feet. And there's going to be a real fragrance on Jesus's garments. And in my glorified body, when I smell that, it's not going through the thalamus CPU, but it's going through my glorified limbic system which is responsible for memory. 
And as I smell Jesus, I'm going to be transported back to seasons of my life. When I was confused, when I didn't understand, when I was in pain, when I was suffering, when I experienced betrayal, when I was in the middle of hiddenness, when I was in the the long hours of, of, of young kids or the difficulties of life. And in that place, even though it was weak and it was broken, I offered my worship and my fragrance. And Jesus and I are going to share a fragrance that only we have, that only takes me to that place. And it ministers to his heart. The last scripture I want to read is finally from Paul, who brings this home such a beautiful and powerful powerful way in 2 Corinthians 2, 14. It says, now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us, I love this word, diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death and the other we're the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient in these things? I love this. For we are not as many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity from God we speak in the sight of God in Christ. Listen to Paul's words carefully. Remember Isaiah 11. He does not judge by what his eyes see. He does not judge by what his ears hear. But his delight, his ruach, is in the fear of the Lord. Peddlers of the gospel. What does that mean? It's like, I can do all the right things. My Facebook page looks fine. I I say the right Christian phrases. I do the right things. I, I I go through all the right motions. But ultimately, a peddler is somebody that's doing it for gain. A peddler is Judas. He's using his access to Jesus, not to proskuneo, not to, not to minister lowly to his feet, but to use for his own gain. And Paul says, we are the fragrance of Christ. Fragrance doesn't lie. There's a smell that you can only carry if you've been in his presence. There's a fragrance that you only carry when there's a sincerity of love and passion. And Paul says, we are the fragrance of Christ, diffusing it. We're little fragrance diffusers. And how quickly we forget, we want to do something of importance in our eyes. We want to use our faith to, 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 to take advantage, to be seen as great in man's eyes, to be judged by what people see and what people hear. And, and Paul is pleading with us saying, don't you get it? It wasn't Noah's best effort that just blessed God when he smelled the fragrance. It was Christ. And you're a little diffuser that's just releasing fragrance. You know, moms, when you're at home with your, your young kids and you feel like you haven't seen friends in forever or been out on a date night and you, you're seeing all these things that others are doing, you're like, all I'm at home is just loving on my kids and praying and worshiping. 
the delight you bring to his heart. You, you remind the Father of Jesus' fragrance, and Jesus is moved in his heart by that fragrance until the point where all the nations are offering up the fragrance, and it's filling the bowls, and it's tipped over. And the reward is what we can do again at his feet. You know what David says? He says, God, you keep all of my tears in a bottle. You think that bottle's staying on the shelf, y'all? Why does he keep tears in a bottle? So when you go to heaven, you're not empty-handed when you minister to the feet of Jesus. That you can proskuneo Jesus. You can literally pour out your pain, your difficulty, your sufferings. And you crown him king of kings and you minister to his heart through the tears that he has stored up that you then pour out at his feet. And I want to invite the, the worship team to come forward this morning. I want to invite us to, to stand in this moment. I want to ask you before we, before we head out, we're going to, we're going to take a moment and respond in, in worship. I feel like this, this morning, a couple things I wasn't feeling or that I'm just sensing now. One is the beauty and value and the eternal worth of our prayer and our worship that, that we so easily discount. Because like, like all people, we judge by what our eyes see and what our ears hear. And I specifically feel those who have been judging your own life harshly where you are beating yourself up for your mistakes, where you, are, you, you almost feel ashamed when you approach the Father because you feel like, I'm just, I'm just the smell of grossness. Here's what's amazing is Paul offered his amazing pedigree of all the amazing things he did, his own righteousness, and he offers it. You know what he says? He says it's dung in comparison to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. I think he used that analogy for a reason. He used something of fragrance. It's not your righteousness. It's not your greatest works that, that bless him and, and, and move his heart in the way that simply offering your heart in sincerity, a broken and a contrite heart, coming under the blood of Jesus, dressed in the robes of righteousness. And I just want to take a few minutes this morning responding and the, the worship team is going to sing. And can we do that this morning. Can we worship? Can we offer our worship and our prayer before him? Can we step outside of us saying, this is what our life is worth? And we can say, Jesus, it's your righteousness anyway. It's your blood that cleanses me. It's not my fragrance, but it's yours. And I, I just want to offer to you something holy unto me, unto you. Let's just offer our worship this morning. Thank you for tuning in to Sunday Sermon. For more information, service times, and free teaching resources, visit forerunnerchurch.com.